I don't believe profit belongs to me. Okay. I believe profit belongs to the company. I reckon I own the company. So I get that, but I don't cash the chips in every day. Right. So we're playing this game here. It belongs to the company and that's who we're going to keep it in the company. You know, I always say there's three ways to grow a company. You can either use your own money. You can borrow money from the bank or you can use the money that the company generates in the form of profit. And that's what we've always done. It's called bootstrapping. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another great episode of Out of the Hourglass. I'm your host, Molly Nolan, and I have Kevin Nolan with me today, CEO of Nolan Painting and partner at Nolan Consulting Group, sharing the highlights of the money chapter in his new book, Organizational Muscle. We talk about bootstrapping, staying broke, sharing goals, the Nolan painting approach to building healthy numbers, and the revenue and growth milestones that meant so much. Organizational Muscle is a project many years in the making, 40 plus years of business experience can be found in these pages. A personal account of the business he has built since 1979, detailing the lessons learned, strategies made, and insights for building and growing a strong business that endures. Kevin is sharing it all. Out of the Hourglass is a podcast channel dedicated to helping small business owners and contractors visualize their goals, develop high-performing teams, and build sustainable growth. It's time to get out of the hourglass. All right, Kevin Nolan, welcome back to the podcast. How are we doing today? Great, thanks. Uh, my you, book just came out. Your book just came out. Yeah, yes. we. Uh, you said September first, and here we are. Actually, while well, yes. our listeners are listening to this, you know, beginning of October, we're we're talking today on September first, and you have a book in your hand. That's pretty Indeed. cool. Yeah, yeah. And it's a good looking book. It's a good looking book. You know, uh, so basically, the thing about having goals is they make you they push yourself. To get things done and they and sometimes they're artificial deadlines you put in front of yourself but yeah i mean the date of september 1st was important for for my own reasons self-imposed um but um yeah highly motivated to get it done um looking looking forward to be on amazon next hopefully it should be on amazon by the time people hear this podcast awesome. so uh, go to amazon and look for organizational muscle by kevin nolan Good stuff. I will. I'll, I will say to you, you have with always Amy Lynch, my my great co-author, Amy Lynch. We can't forget. We can't forget about Amy. Um, I I gotta say to you, I feel like it it was you who said who said once out loud that the reason why you share your goals is because then out loud so people can hear is because then they you feel accountable to those people that you shared it to. Yes, and I, that has always stuck with me. And so, so if you're afraid, if you've got a goal, but you're, but you're afraid that you can't do it or tell people you're going to do it because then you've got people. Well, the other thing it does is it, it, it makes you, it makes you do um, smart goals, like not ridiculous goals. Like, yeah. you know, um, I'm going to have something and I'm going to, I'm going to have a $10 million house or something when, yeah, maybe not practically going to happen. So, cause I'm going to, I'm doing things, I'm saying things that I'm going to do. And I realized that, um, yeah, I need to be held accountable to make sure they happen. But also, it's not outlandish. It's not like crazy it's that, 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 that right. may not make it or, or it's pie in the sky. These are real goals that I have every intention of hitting. And yeah, the accountability factor I love just to 
Well, well, well done. Get going in the morning. Make it yes. happen. Yes. Well done on, on hitting this particular goal. It's been fun to uh, be a part of this process with you, with talking about the book, talking about the chapters, kind of seeing and hearing where you're at and now to actually see it in you know physical form is, is pretty neat. So we're back here, of course, to talk about another chapter. We've talked about several so far. We've talked about problems, change, continuous improvement. We've talked about marketing, compensation. Now we're talking about the money chapter. And this is a this is a big one. It is a big one. It's a, it's one that I think um, people don't necessarily put at the top of the list. And I know I never did um, put money. I always say that most entrepreneurs are in business to grow something neat, something cool, something they can be proud of. Uh, not necessarily in it for the money. Um, the money's mm-hmm. important, um, but they don't necessarily do it for the money. Um, and so so they don't necessarily put the right amount of uh, emphasis on understanding money yep. and understanding financials. And I feel like that's the answer. But if, Kev, if there's one thing that you want a reader to get out of this particular chapter, what is it? Yeah, it's that one thing. It's learn to understand the financials, even if it's not the normal language you speak, even if it's not something that you are um, you feel comfortable in. Um, learn the learn the basics. You know, learn how to read a P and L and a balance sheet. Understand it intimately, um, and you know. It, it took me years to do that. I, I'm ashamed to say that a, that a lot of years I wasn't paying attention to any of these things. Um, and, um, you know, the story I often tell is that um, in 1997, I got a, um, I guess I got a statement back from my accountant. Um, and he wasn't a great accountant, just was somebody, I have a great accountant now, but it was it was just an accountant that I had. And he said, oh, too bad you missed a million. And I think we were 950,000. And I was like, well, what do you mean we missed a million? He goes, yeah, you you did just short of a million dollars in revenue in 1997. And I was like, wow, I just did just short of a million. I mean, I felt, I felt empty. Like, how do you do just short? It'd be like running 25 miles of a marathon. You just, you don't come up short of a million. I mean, if I knew, if I knew a month out that we were short $50,000, I would have been painting day and night. And I believe it because I see how you approach hitting these bigger goals now. And of course, with the forecasting and knowing if and and how you're going to hit, I mean, there's a lot of activity done to make sure those goals are hit or, or you, you try really hard. I do try really hard and we don't always hit them, but we mostly hit them. And uh, yeah, so that was a wake up call for me. And then at that point, I started to predict, like you said, set goals. I started to predict. Um, well, at the same time, I, I had this emergence of um, a really smart person in my company, Steve Nefranowitz. And I talk about him all through the book. And um, Steve is my CFO, and he was a painter working for me. And he, he seemed to understand spreadsheets, um, and I didn't. And he seemed to be able to, to start to do some of the things that I would talk about out loud, like predict, like predict how much revenue we could do in a month. And we've talked about the formulas, you know, it's it's how many people you have working at what dollar per hour. Yep. Um, that determines your revenue number. That and revenue cookbook. Yeah, that's not that hard to figure out. If, if you have 10 people and if they all work the whole month and there's no vacation time and they manage to get 40 hours in and you charge a certain dollar per hour, 
that should be a predictable number. Um, and then how, how do you go off that mistake-wise? Well, I guess if you underestimate a job, that could be a problem. Um, if you have people quit on you and you don't quite have the, the labor you thought you had, that's a problem. Oh, but now all of a sudden you're, you're tracking all these things. And wow, the wake-up call for me was pretty dramatic. I'd been in business for well over 15 years. And all I was doing was trying to paint more houses. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't necessarily paying attention to uh, the money aspect because you know why? Because I felt weak in that area. And I didn't feel like I was, I had the knowledge. Yeah, so you so, kind of, you, you, you put it aside as not a priority. Yeah. And so the takeaway is um, learn it um, and hire people that around you that know it and make it a priority. You know, get yourself a really good bookkeeper Get yourself um, somebody that that hopefully is either a controller or a CFO or, or you know, move in that direction of having that type of those type of resources to bounce off of. Yep. And then and then get a really good accountant, not just one that does your taxes, but one that can help you figure out some of these things, um, because they'll do that if you ask them. And one thing, I mean, that I've seen with our clients and, and the coaching that's, that we do and, you know, how you've approached things um, and then let those people who are, who are great at that skill do their jobs and, but don't remain unattached from it. Right. There's yes. the trust, but verify. Yes. There's delegate, but don't abdicate. Like don't, yes. don't just say do the job. It's like they need to, part of their job is to explain everything to you. That's like the biggest part of the job. Because then you have to figure a way to explain it to your whole company in, you know, more and more layman terms, how we're going to hit this goal. We need five more people. And if we don't have five more people, then we're not going to hit our numbers. And if we don't hit our numbers, this is going to happen. And you can start to, it starts to all become very transparent and easy to understand. Well, we always say numbers help drive strategy, right? So yes. if you yeah. as the owner don't understand the numbers, how can you be... Um, correctly driving strategy, right? It's really, it's been the big change for me. And, um, you know, Brian, Brian Nolan, um, my brother always says uh, the numbers, uh, the numbers tell a story. And when I look back on any given year, the numbers do tell a story. There's usually something in there about what happened that year that will directly, the numbers tell it. Like, we we crushed it because we raised prices and we and we had hired five more people and that's why we did an extra seventy five thousand dollars in revenue that month. That's a story and um, and we want to have some control over that story. So uh, yeah, so cookbooking it out yep. the year and building budgets. Man, I used to hate that and now it's the goal setting. Now it's goal setting to me and I like it. When would you say what year? I mean, you've been in business for a long time, 1979. And I think it's the what's so impactful here is you, this knowledge, this that you're passing along is going to help people change course, fix mistakes sooner in their hopefully their business career, maybe than, than you learn, right? That's yeah. your goal. And I know that you've always said you've always said if you can help people learn things faster than you learned them, they're gonna they're gonna succeed. Yep. Um so, it's always helped me along the way. So. so by, so the business began in 1979, what year, obviously 97 was tough. You hit that million you are just shy of hitting that million because you weren't planning and you weren't on top of financials. At what point were you like thoroughly in the, the pattern of 
budgeting, looking at your financials on a regular basis? When do you recall that that time? So I remember in, in the year 2000, I hired a consultant to help me f- do my business plan. And um, Steve was active in that process. And he was gobbling up the information like I was. And we started to build budget. Uh, so by the year 2000, we're on it. And we're building budgets for every year. And we grew like a weed. Uh, we grew a million dollars a year in revenue. So we doubled in size in like two years. And then by 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 2001, I was we were growing a million dollars a year. Um, and we hit um, five million in 2005. Um, we did have some problems in 2005 with that, you know, rapid growth catching up to us a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were sort of stuck there for a couple of years, um, trying to refigure it out. You know, the dynamics change as you hit different levels in a company. And totally. like I often talk about the future and go, when we're a when we're a $10 million company, we're going to have to fix these problems or it's going to be a mess. And you know, now we're talking about what life will be like when we're a $25 million company and what will have to be different. Um, you know, we, we, we have to make changes to get there. We won't get there just because of time. We have to change to get there. Right. Um, what works now is not going to work then. Yes. So and we have to be okay was, with that. Was, 5 million was tough. I think we were stuck there for... I don't know, it was like seven seven years or something like that. We um, There was a recession, which knocked us back again mm-hmm. um, to 3 million. Uh, and that was pretty tough, right? That's a pretty big, that's a pretty big, it took two years. I think we were three, I think we were like 4.5 and then 3 million over the two years. So like, two years what ago- What is happening? Back, we're going backwards. <laughs> that were tough times. They were tough times. Yeah. Um, but then um, we bought another company. Um, we got back and in 2011, we hit 5 million. Um, and then we, we were off to the races again, 6 million. And then, um, and then um, in 2017, uh, we hit 10 million. And uh, that was predicted and we hit it. And uh, got stuck there for a couple of years. Um, we, the big problem there though was um, COVID. Uh, we got stuck there because of the, the pandemic and we actually shrunk again for a year and then back growing again. Um, and last year we did 13 million and we hope to do 14 million this year. Um, but so I could, you can see now, I know my numbers now. I, I literally could tell you what we did every year, every year. since yep. since 2000. I remember them. Uh, they were typically goals that we either hit mostly or didn't hit. And I remember that. I remember it all very vividly because. But you're right. You you have a story to each one of them, and it's almost like yeah. you're you're attaching the revenue and the goals to a story, and it it really comes full circle in how you look at your business and the history over time. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that I did is, um, and I know I want to talk about transparency. Yes. Which is the way I talk about numbers with my employees. Um, and because we do, I mean, why wouldn't I talk about profit? Profit's a good thing, not a bad thing. Um, if we make a ton of profit, I give more money to the employees. So it isn't like um, we're not allowed to have profit. We're allowed to have between five and 10% profit. If it's more than that, I'm going to distribute it. I, that's just the right thing to do in my mind. But I mean, mm-hmm. everybody has different opinions. But in my mind, that's the kind of company I want to grow. It is not about the money for me. 
it is about growing something special and money is important. And so, uh, so yeah, so transparency, we talk about money every single month. We talk about how much profit we made. We generally talk in percentages and we always put it in context. So we're making 12, 15% profit these summer months of the year, um, all the way through to sometime in the winter. And then we're losing money in, in the December, January, February. So you have to tell the whole story. I mean, why, why are you putting money in the bank? Because you're going to lose money later. I mean, why do squirrels put nuts away? Because sometimes <laughs> there's no more nuts. So this is a story. Once again, you're telling stories about um, what's going to happen and what just did happen. And so transparency is one of our four key values, core values. And um, I've gotten very comfortable with talking about uh, profit and costs, what things cost, telling our, our employees why we charge, you know, what we charge per hour, um, $90 an hour, $100 an hour, we're charging sometimes. We're telling our employees why we charge that much money, what goes to paint, what goes to taxes, what goes to marketing, what goes to health insurance, what goes to business insurance. These are all things that they need to know the whole story. 100% agree. Yeah. So the other transparency piece that really helps me, by the way, this all helps me talking about it mm -hmm. with my employees. I don't want to say dumbing it down because sometimes it's still fairly complicated, uh, but talking about it uh, helps me become better at it because I'm teaching people. Um, I know that there are people in my company that are that are like, this is going right over their heads, but not everybody. And I've built a great company of a lot of people that are paying attention. And I'm not talking down to anybody. I'm talking to everybody as if I want them to understand this. And that helps us all. And one of the things that we've done, and you've seen it, is the wall. Yes. I have a wall. Um, the wall is pretty cool. Room, which is transparent to everybody. And it shows all of our numbers. And uh, the same wall, uh, I have a copy of it, I have a copy of the, the spreadsheet in my book. Um, the same spreadsheet on the wall exists in, a, in the cloud, in, in a computer system. Um, but you can't stand next to it and tell the story to people. And you can stand next to the wall. And I tell the story to... You know, other other summit members, I tell the mm -hmm. story to um, other people in my community, other contractors and business owners. I tell the story to any employee that will listen. I tell the story to brand new apprentices during orientation. And they must think I'm nuts as I take them up and start talking about, you know, million dollars this and a million dollars Yeah, that. but somebody in that group one of these days might just grab onto what you're saying and they become your next be job next leader. Job. CFO. Right, right. And I mean, that's where Steve came from, right? Steve started right. as an apprentice years and years and years ago. But yes. so you never know where your employees are going to land. You, so by yeah. providing them knowledge about the business and teaching, I mean, it's education at the end of the day, right? Yeah. Yep. So it's got all the KPIs for the year, how many phone calls we need by month. And we write it in. Um, so they're, they're all written in blue. All the goals, all the KPI goals are written in blue. You know what what we want our direct labor to be we have a goal for direct labor we want 35 percent 
of our revenue to be direct labor. If that number goes above 35%, I either have to look at productivity, right? And, and get productivity up. So that number gets back down to 35% or below, or I have to be raise prices, that'll work. You raise prices, it means you're gonna increase revenue. Then you, that 35% will come back down. Um, but I can't give out any more raises until I get it down below 35%. If it's below 35%, which it is, which we are now, we're, we're operating in the 33 to 34% number, which is great. Mm -hmm. But that means I have room to give raises because our goal is 35%. So I'm using that to sort of tell me where my labor needs to be um, and also control it by controlling the pricing. Um, we talked a little bit. Is measured independently and our productivity is, has been bang on and we have separate measures for that. Um, so that's not been a problem, um, but pricing is often a problem. Well, we talked a little bit about the, um, that in the compensation chapter, we talked about that yeah. 35 number and cause yes. you, you often are looking to give, to give raises, um, to the field as often as you can, but, but yes. that, that KPI, that 35% KPI is kind of like, is your, is your, is your green light essentially. It is, it is. I'm paying attention to it and it makes it very simple for me. I don't have to worry about, you know, lots of other things. I, I know that, um, in this current environment, which is still inflationary, um, and it's certainly wage inflationary. Um, I just lost four people to the union, which really? was a bummer. Uh, but the union, a union company got a humongous project and was throwing all kinds of money at um, above union wages even to some people. And I lost some folks. Um, that means I need to make sure that my wages are competitive. Yep. So, yeah, so I'm constantly trying to get my wages up so that nobody's stealing people from us. And you talked about, you know, obviously kind of going back to the profit question and you're transparent about that, that profit percentage and what you're looking for. And then you distribute to the employees um, if you're, uh, you know, are above that, that profit percentage. Um, but talk to me about your approach to that 10 to 15% company profit and how that, that you're expecting that you're, that you're planning for and how do you use it? Yes. So I don't believe profit belongs to me. Okay. I believe profit belongs to the company. I reckon I own the company, so I get that. Um, but I don't, I don't cash the chips in every day. Right. So we're playing this game here. It belongs to the company and that's who we're going to keep it in the company. Um, you know, I always say there's three ways to grow a company. You can either use your own money. You can borrow money from the bank or you can use the money that the company generates in the form of profit. And that's what we've always done. It's called bootstrapping. It it does slow growth down because you're you know you're 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 not borrowing a lot of money. Um, you're you're not borrowing lots of money for trucks and equipment because you don't want to borrow a lot of money because the money costs money's to owe money is dangerous in a recession. Mm -hmm. To owe money can be dangerous in general. You can be overextended very quickly. Our business in particular is um, not a business that you would just flood money at and think that, that it would make you... If I had a competitor that went out and bought 12 new trucks, they would be no more of a competitor to me now than they would be then. Like it, it, They need to grow the whole infrastructure. The trucks alone is not going to do it. They need people. They need systems. They need um, 
you know, they, they, they need to have all these job um, openings filled with, with the right people. And that all takes time. And if you just try to borrow money to, to, to buy equipment or to advertise or do something like that, um, the money disappears and it becomes uh, very hard for the other parts of the company to catch up. So bootstrapping is perfect for us. It allows us to grow at just the right pace. We try to target around 10% growth a year. Okay. And we're trying to keep our profits between 5 and 10% annually. Like I said, if it's over 10%, I feel like it needs to go back into the employees. Okay. Typically, it would be that it would be able to be, you'd be able to see that your direct labor was low and therefore you're not paying your people enough. Uh, so at any rate, um, yeah, so that's what we do. And so we talk about the profits and we talk about what we're going to do with them and how we're going to buy equipment, send people to training, um, you know, give out more, more money to people. Um, we're talking about how we're, we're going to grow. We advertise a lot. Uh, advertising is a big expense. Um, one of the things that we're concerned about is this winter. We had a little bit of a tough winter last winter. We didn't spend enough money on marketing. Um, I had an accountant once tell me, he said, oh, I see why you didn't get any phone calls. You didn't spend them any money on marketing this week. And I wasn't paying a lot of attention. And I said, hey, I guess I, yeah, you are right. And there is a direct correlation between the amount of money you spend on marketing and the amount of phone calls you get. So, uh, got to so spend on marketing. Is, yeah. When we, and we talked about that on the marketing chapter, you gotta, yes. you gotta spend. And if something is working, you gotta keep doing it. Yes. You don't, you so, don't, you don't pull back. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to spend more money on marketing. And I tell, I tell the whole company that at a, at a company meeting, um, we made 12% profit last month, just to put that in context, everybody. You remember that we lost money January, February. Right now for the year, we're tracking at 7% profit. That's right where we want to be. That's a good number for us telling that story. Yeah, you're, you're right. Giving context to the numbers is really an important part of the, of, of the conversation. Yes. Talk to me about being your own bank. I know this is a concept that you feel pretty strongly about. Well, yeah. So, you know, we got some money from the government, PPP money, and we... We put it in the bank and um, obviously we did some of the right things with it. A lot of it made its way to employees, particularly during that time period. You know, we had done the come back to work bonus and everybody got a bonus when they came back to work. Um, but we got a chunk of money and we put it in the bank and we decided that was going to be our bank. And so now we're borrowing money against um, that chunk of money. We call it um, a capital investment account. And what we do is we borrow money um, against that and then we pay it back. Um, we amortize and we pay it back at 4% interest rate. Um, and uh, yeah, so so like I, I I talked about this with some people and they think that's kind of silly. You just borrow money from yourself when you're paying yourself back. It, but the reality of it is it creates a discipline, which is what we want. We want that discipline in business um, of running our business um, financially, you know, prudent so that once again, we're not borrowing more money than we can pay back. Um, having the money in the bank that we're borrowing against is really good security. Um, and um, yeah, I'm looking to leave the business at some point in the next uh, few years. Obviously, you know, I'm going to retire in about a year, um, not about a year, a year. 
<laughs> but then I'll still be the owner for a number of years. And if we were to borrow money from a bank, so we're not borrowing any money, more money from the bank. But if we were to borrow money from the bank, they need to see all my personal financials. They need to see, I need to sign everything. I have to get my wife sometimes to sign stuff. Um, yeah, I don't want that. I want to get out of the business with free and clear, with no debt and uh, not a, nothing assigned to me debt wise. So that's my uh, longer term goal is to um, be our own bank going forward. And uh, that works for a painting company, maybe not for every company, but for a painting company, once again, we're going to grow steady, but we're not going to try to grow so, so, so fast that we need that much capital. Mm -hmm. It's planned. I mean, it's very intentional yes. growth. Yeah. And, you know, that discipline, I the other piece that we've talked about, I talk about it in my book, that discipline of um, what I call like being broke all the time. So we um, the book Profit First um, by Michael McCallowitz, uh, he he basically, you know, he he codified what I had been doing for years. He, his is much more elaborate, but the system basically has a main bank account. And then every week that bank account has a number of automatic for us, it's automatic withdrawals that come out of that bank account that go into half a dozen other accounts. So when we make money, when we borrow money for a truck and we borrow it from our own self, automatic, that automatic goes from one account to the next. Um, automatically, we're sending money to um, our deferred equity comp plans that we have for the management team. I've mm -hmm. talked about those. Um, we're automatically sending it to an insurance account since we're self-insured. So we like to put some money in there for some, just in case we have some um, catastrophes. Um, and um, and we're putting money in reserve accounts. And we're, so bottom line is by Monday, and then by Friday, so Friday's payroll. And then Monday, whatever's left is getting sent to all these different accounts. And by Monday afternoon, um, we're broke. We have no money in our main account again. And it just so happens that Monday afternoon, we have a receivables meeting where we go through You're all broke. Now you need them. Now you, where's the money? The money needs to be where's coming the back at the door. Yeah. Yeah. So we're hungry. Times very well. Well, well that's a really strategic yes. um, meeting time on that Monday afternoon. Well, it's discipline, right? Because yeah. it's discipline. Like, I get it. This is all problematic unless you just put these systems in place. I mean, what happens if on Monday you're short? I'll tell you what happens on Monday if you're short. Sometimes we do. We have to go back into our reserve account, put it into our, our main account so that the distributions can be made to some of the other accounts. Um, because, and then we need to figure something out because we're not running our business the right way. If there's not enough money, then there's something wrong with the way we're running our business. And it, it you know, could be that uh, we're not collecting our receivables. Right, our receivables. So we we want to get paid COD. Now I reckon I reckon that's a little bit of a fantasy world, certainly for some businesses to get paid COD. But a lot of businesses get paid as soon as the cash register goes bing, they get the money. That's COD. Mm -hmm. um, some of the people listening to this call run commercial businesses. Maybe it's net thirty days. Right, that's not COD. I get it. Um, I do some business that's net thirty days. That means on day 31, where is my money? So you said it'd be 30 days. 
Where's the money? Oh, it was put in the mail yesterday. Okay, good answer. Um, uh, the answer is, um, I don't know, I'll check on it. All right, a day goes by, no answer from the person who's checking on that net 30 receivable. You call them again. They say, oh, I just got the check. It was signed by so-and-so. I'm coming to get it. And I will pick it up myself. Pick it up myself. So we, we're that disciplined about our receivables. We do not let people owe us money. Uh, we, we have a receivable uh, right now that's going back to May, um, which we may end up um, writing off. Um, but that's an exception to the rule. That is not the rule. Um, I'm telling well, I have one that we're going to have to, we're going to have to deal with that one, but that's, it's a problematic situation with a problematic customer. My experience sitting in on your weekly operations meetings, I mean, the, uh, I'll get, I'm picking up the check tomorrow, I'll pick up, picking up the check end of this week. I hear that said very often by yes. the crew leaders, um, who, who are, you know, reporting on their jobs. And so, well, and to your point, so the second accountable, uh, accounts receivable meeting a week is happening at our operations meeting. Yep. Literally running through the exact same list that we talked about Monday. Monday is with the sales team and the sales team is accountable too. So they may say, I talked to the crew leader. He's going to go pick it up tomorrow. Well, two days go by. It's still on there. What happened? We need answers. Oh, somebody went there and they weren't there. Okay. What's the next answer? There's got to be answers here. Yep. I'm going back today. That's the answer. Like there's got to be next steps. Um, just to, that's called accountability and that's what we're looking for. And, and you're so spreading it. You're cascading that accountability to get the check all the way down. Yep. Yeah. And we're supportive. Like, I mean, uh, we're there to help. Uh, if somebody's having a problem, I might say, do you want me to help? I'm willing. I'll go there with you. I'll get on the phone. I'll call the customer. I am not your first choice. I'm your last choice to help. Yeah. I just want to make sure you've exhausted all of the things that you can do. Um, but yeah, no, we're a, we're a team. So we're all going to, we're all going to work to get these account receivable down. Another question I had for you, um, I, and I believe you hit on this in the chapter is um, insurance. You know, you talk about being your own insurance company, yeah. bring us into that world. What does that look like? Yeah. So uh, I think I was just telling you, I had to, I had like a, some type of storm just came through um, and I'll probably talk about this on my next business is messy podcast. Oh yes. I'm uh, sure that will come up. <laughs> yeah. But a storm, a freak storm came through and a bunch of trees fell all over the property. And uh, they said it might be, a might've been a tornado. It looked like um, they all fell the same direction and it was for like a half a mile. And they all fell, one, a whole bunch of them fell on my high reach machine, Oof. which um, was brand new. Um, it was over $100,000 and it was brand new. And I had been, I was told just yesterday that it is unfixable. That hurts. Um, yeah. So that hurts pretty bad. And uh, everybody says, but you have insurance, right? Uh, and the answer is no. Uh, I, I do have insurance. I have a company that, um, because legally you have to have insurance yeah. for the for the customer. But if you know, Kevin you. is an insured company. Nolan Painting is yes. insured. Yes. <laughs> not your but, typical way. But we will not submit that as a claim um, to our, uh, we're self-insured through a captive. Um, and I could actually submit it. Um, and I, I would get, um, I'd get anything over a hundred thousand. 
Uh, the machine is just over a hundred thousand. So I'd get about four or five grand out of the deal. Um, and um, yeah, but we're going to eat that. Uh, we're going to eat that as a, a bad thing that happened. Um, so is it a catastrophe? Yeah, maybe. Is it, is it so bad that I can't afford it? No, we can afford it. I mean, you know, we're going to make, I don't know, close to 10% profit on 14 million this year. There's going to be money in the business. It's going to have to just pay for that. But They're that money's there because you all are disciplined about that money every week. It yeah. would be catastrophic yeah. if you hadn't been disciplined and that money wasn't there to replace it. That would be yeah. really bad. Yes, it would be. And it that's and you want to ensure, I believe, against the things you can't afford. Not against the things that you can. I believe that having these problems, uh, I'm not sure what there is to learn about that. There might be. Um, there might be things to learn. Um, I don't know yet. We'll we'll take some time to <laughs> digest. This is still relatively fresh. It's a fresh wound. Um, but generally speaking, you want to learn from your mistakes. And I just feel like insurance basically somehow buffers you from that. And um, But the real reason to be your own insurance company, and this is even if you have traditional insurance, the real reason to be your own insurance company is because it's cost effective. Uh, I have saved hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars um, over the years by either being our, our own insurance company through the captive or before that, how we did business. Uh, once again, I only submit claims on things that are catastrophic to the point where I sort of can't afford it or they will really seriously hurt the company. That's the way we always did it. Um, if somebody got injured on the job, we never let them go into the traditional workers' comp system. We, we treat them like a family member and bring them in. Um, sometimes business owners will call me and they'll say, so-and-so says their back hurts. I'm not sure if I believe them. I think you have to start off with believing them. I think to start with that, um, because I don't think most people would want to go through the trouble of faking an injury. That's something that is not normal. Not no normal people don't do that. Um, so I get it. It's happened to me. Okay. Yeah, it but does happen. Normal. We know we 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 won't we won't say it doesn't happen, but it's yeah. not normal. But it's not normal. It's not a normal yeah. situation. Most people don't want to be injured and they want to get better when they are. And so I treat everybody like they would be my son or daughter who just got hurt, which means they got hurt. Um, they went to the hospital. Um, somebody might meet them there. I may meet them there. I've been to the emergency room dozens of times over the years. Um, I would call them in the evening to check to see how they were doing. Um, we would have food delivered to their house that night. Um, the next morning, I would call them to see how they feel. Literally, I'd call them at 6.30 in the morning, which is wake up time, six o'clock in the morning, it's wake up time, okay? Uh, they may feel terrible. They may, they may need to spend the day home that, that first day. Um, I'll call them later in the day, do you feel any better? We need to get you to see a doctor. Did you see the doctor? Did you follow, what are the follow-ups? Do you need a ride to the doctor? Um, this is how you would treat um, a family member. right? And this is how you have to treat an injured employee. Um, ultimately, uh, there is obviously some people that, that, um, that would be somehow trying to pull the fast one over on you, or maybe they don't like the job, they don't want to come back or whatever. Um, 
But when you have run it the way we just talked about, you have total control. You have the ability to say to the employee, um, the doctor says that you can do light duty. It's called return to work, light duty. Light duty means that you can do the following things that we have for you. Um, we have some filing to do. Um, uh, you could sit on a bench and sand kitchen cabinets for the kitchen cabinet crew who are going to sand and clean cabinets and spray them. You can work with them for the day and stay off your feet. Um, you could be a driver. We could drive you or we could drive around and deliver materials to jobs. You won't get out of, you won't get out of the truck. You'll call the crew leader. You'll call the job leader and say, Hey, I'm here. I have pain. I'm not supposed to carry it. Um, you, you can come up with a, a list of jobs to bring this person back and you don't want to humiliate them. You want to bring them back, give them meaningful work um, and um, keep making sure they're going to the doctor. They're going to physical therapy. And then this is happening all the time. I, yeah. It's happening right now. I have employees in that scenario right this minute. If you have 100 employees, 100 painters, it's going to happen. Um, so um, we get them to back to work as soon as possible. And it is 100% effective at keeping your insurance rates low. And that's ultimately what you want to do if you're in the traditional insurance world, is you want to keep your mod rate, which is your work experience rate, low. And you want to get your workers back to work. Do not farm it out to an insurance company to say, oh, he's on workers' comp and I, I don't know what's happening. I haven't talked to him in two months. He's You want to control that. You want to control what's control happening. It. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I guarantee you there's nobody I'm not talking to in two months. And what happens if, they, if they're uncooperative? Let's, let's say they say, no, I can't come to work. My back hurts. Yeah, but the doctor says you can. The doctor says you can come to work. I have a return to work, light duty. Um, and they're disagreeable, you fire them. You fire them because they're they're not following the new job that you have. And when you fire them, they are not eligible for workers' comp. Now they, they got the clearance, they, you offered them the job, and they said no. Right. Now they may sue you, but you know, that's okay. This is game on now. Now, now we have to deal with the fact that this person is, is either faking or malingering, um, or somehow um, not not acting in good faith, and we want to go ahead. And then, you know, then I've done things like hired private investigators and things like that. I've had- You've um, been through it, Kev. <laughs> I've been through it. I've had some success. Um, I've had some failure in it. Um, I should tell you the, a quick story about the success and the failure, because they're both interesting. The uh, We'll do the, su the success first. Okay. Um, Somebody went out just like that, wouldn't come back. I fired them. They sued me. Um, we hired a private investigator. They were painting houses. My private investigator asked them for an estimate. My injured employee gave them a business card of his own. Went no over, way. gave them an estimate. It was all filmed on his camera tie clip. He had a tie clip that had a camera. And it was all filmed. So, I mean, that story was so great that I wanted to have, like, a private investigator full-time working for me. Um, <laughs> But the next time I did it, we spent, um, it was a terrible scenario. I had a professional workers' comp claimant who fell within three hours of the job, starting the job. Um, so he started at 7, 10 a.m. He falls. No one sees it. Oh, I remember this guy. Yeah. Um, went through the whole process that I described to you. 
ended up firing the person because they weren't cooperative. They sued us. They hired a, they hired a big firm that does this all the time. We did more research, found that they, that they were a professional workers' comp claimant. Once again, not normal, but it does happen. Anyway, a uh, long story. It took about a year. Lots of private investigators. Uh, we settled for $50,000, um, which uh, that, that individual had to divide up between his lawyer and his doctor, because that's how the scheme works. And so I told him as he as he was uh, leaving the courthouse that day, I said, you know, you'd been better off working for me. You would have you made more money in the last year than you're making out of this deal. So, um, but um, the control factor, I think in business, you have to control as much as possible. And I yep. think when you farm things out to the insurance company, who, by the way, makes a profit on you for this. And when you are your own insurance company or you give them less premiums, they make less profit. And so, um, yeah, that's how I feel about it about insurance and um it's 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 proven to be very cost effective over the over the years uh one more question for you and then i want to hear how about how you celebrate hitting certain revenue goals what sure. will end with that fun um i know you talk about obviously you know being your own bank but obviously there's times when you've had to utilize a line of credit a lot of companies utilize lines of credit um what is your take on on utilizing that and how what's your approach on paying it back yeah, so uh, once again, um, the winters are tough. I'll need the money for the winters. I'm going to lose money, uh, sometimes uh, not even enough reserves or profit to cover it, uh, particularly when I have a tax bill due in January and another one due in April. And uh, so often run short on cash the first quarter of the year. And so uh, traditionally, I borrowed money from my bank um now i'm borrowing it from myself uh but same rules apply yep uh, which means that um we're borrowing it um only for um operations operational deficiencies okay that are short term um meaning i'm not borrowing it to to um grow the company i'm not borrowing it for capital investments therefore i'm borrowing as little as possible but it traditionally last few years i borrowed about 4 or 500,000 a year uh, during that time period to get through it. And so what we do is we, the discipline was um, to start getting healthy in the month of April. By May 1st, be prepared to start paying it back. I take the total amount that I borrowed, let's let's say it was 400,000 because that's the number it's been a number of times. Um, and then I would, I would take 400,000 and I would divide um, the 20 weeks between there's 20 weeks between May 1st and September 1st. So for 20 weeks, we're going to pay back that, that line of credit. That's $20,000 a week. Now that is some discipline. That's, that's tough. So some yeah. weeks struggle, whatever, some weeks, I don't know, whatever happens, you fall off the wagon and you can't do it. Um, gives me another week or two. I need to be paid off by October 1st because I'm going back into it again. Right. I'm going back into another winter. And I promised the bank and myself that that is going to be, that my credit line is going to rest. It's going to rest for three months a year. So I'm going to rest at October 1st, November. I'm going to rest at October, November, and December. And I may need it again in January. Um, but I'm sure as hell going to do everything I can to pay it off um, in those 20 weeks. 
And that way I can start the whole process over again. Um, but that discipline is so important. Uh, you have to take all of your, your personal needs out of it and just focus on the discipline of what you want. I want it paid off and, and then put that system into place. And, and then like, you'll act once again, like you're broke and you won't spend money you don't have. Yeah. yeah. That's a personal lesson everyone should learn too, right? Don't spend money you don't have. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important too. I mean, you have a really great team behind you, but you got to make sure as a business owner that your team is aligned with this way of thought, right? I mean, that they are on board with the discipline and how you're approaching your, your financials. Yes, absolutely. And that's why it's transparent. That's why we're talking about it all the time. Everybody knows this 20 week thing that we're going to pay it back. We talk about it ahead of time. You know, I might say to the team, Hey, we made 10% profit, but you understand we paid our credit line back $80,000 last month. I know it looks like we made 120,000, but we paid the credit line 80,000 over yeah. four weeks. So uh, big money. Yeah, so it's transparency. Like the truth sets you free. I think sure does. Yeah. Because it's a hard business and there's really not that much, like there's not that much cash like coming in and, and I'm not taking it. You know, it's the, the business has never been my piggy bank. I live with the same disciplines that I put the company through. I take a paycheck every Friday I get paid bonuses when we hit our monthly goals, just like the rest of the team does. And I've learned how to live and save for retirement with those same disciplines. And if you're going to be in it for the long haul, and I've been in it for the long haul, uh, then you need to have some of those disciplines to basically make it like sanity. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise you're going to have a lot of financial stress. Well, you're, you're building a, a, a business that has value to it. It's sustainable. Yeah. Yes. All right. Let's have some fun. What are the revenue goals or revenue uh, milestones that you are most proud of in the last 40 plus years? Um, 3.5 million. Um, no, 3 million. It was 3 million. I remember doing 3 million. We had a cake and we, had, we were all celebrating it. And then the next day I went and did a presentation um, for the, the, at the time it was a PDCA. And uh, I was just so excited. It, I, had, I had just learned how to do what we talked about earlier, which was set goals and then hit them. And to, to actually say you're going to do something and then hit it and watch it happen and then see it on a cake, I have a picture of the cake. Mm -hmm. uh, so that three million was really a big thing because I, re I realized the power in all this. Yep. Uh, of course, five million was so important. I remember being proud to be the CEO of a $5 million company. Um, and then, like I told you, we were stuck there for a while. Um, <laughs> and then at 10 million, uh, but we started getting pretty excited on, on the road to 10 million. I mean, we, we tracked, you saw it, you saw that it was possible. Yeah. 6 million, 7 million. I remember each year we would have like a, a philosophy for the year and we wanted to hit 7 million. So it was like lucky seven. So we made a logo called lucky seven. We started putting it on shirts and we started to talk about Lucky Seven. And we talked about, I promised that we'd have like a pub crawl. Um, and uh, if I remember being the power of being able to stand in front of the whole company in like August and say, does anybody know what our company goal is for the year? And everybody in the company knew it was $7 million. I'm like, man, that is like church. We're all following the same religion here. Yep. And it felt really, really good. Um, 
Remember, 8 million was GR8, GR and the letter 8, which stand for great. Mm -hmm. Great uh, 8. And then 10 million was just the letter, was just a number 10 with a circle around it. We put it on all the shirts, on the shoulder of all the shirts. And the if you ask somebody what it was, it was to hit 10 million. If it was internal, if it was external, like if a customer was going to ask you, you were supposed to say, we want to give you 10 out of 10 customer service. And Got it. Clever. And the next year it was 10 plus one to hit 11 million. And we were going to give you a 10 out of 10 surface, 10 out of 10 service plus one, which we know from, from raving fans is a little extra. Got to give a plus so one. So tying this all into the culture and yeah, and then going on pub crawls mm -hmm. and going, taking the, we're going to have a celebration very shortly before the year is out for our one thousands google review cool. and um we're talking about it now we're gonna have a flash party when it happens um it's not all about alcohol um but pub crawls are fun um i have a bell when we're doing pub crawls we go to a restaurant i buy everybody a, a drink and some appetizers and 20 minutes later i ring the bell we head to the next restaurant we walk there um that uh, the bell is on my desk. Um, I'm going to bring it to the thousand Google party and ring it. Um, but I just think it's important to let people know what, let them know what the game is, let them know what winning looks like, and then share winning with everybody. And, and as I've said before, you know, winning as a team is more fun than winning by yourself. Absolutely. This is all about winning as a team. So, um, and to me, that's what money's for. Well, to celebrate, you need money, right? Money. You need <laughs> money. If we bring it, we bring it back home. Well, Kev, yeah. awesome. Thank you so much. This was a really great chapter. I mean, this is kind of one of those foundational chapters for building a business is having healthy financials and being able to understand what the numbers mean and understand the story to drive strategy. Well, like I said, if people can learn it faster than I did, I'd be I'd be feeling very rewarded in life if I could help people along. So, well, you're doing that already with the book being out. Everyone check Amazon. It'll be coming out on Audible pretty soon. Organizational Muscle by Kevin Nolan and Amy Lynch. Thanks yep. so much, Molly. Thank you. Till hey, till the next chapter. Be well. Thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the Hourglass is recorded and produced by the team at Nolan Consulting Group, a nationwide business coaching and consulting firm with coaches located throughout the country. Have a question, comment, or idea for future episodes? We'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, www.nolancg.com.